bow down and we crown you the king king of all kings you will be One researcher has noted that in the last 4,000 years, there have only been about 300 years of peace in our world. Another researcher has said that at any one time in our world, there are about 50 civil wars going on. What's even more troubling, it seems, is the employment of small children as soldiers in different armies around our world, Burma, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka are countries that utilize children as young as eight years old in their armies. The reason, they say, is because children are fearless. They're unpredictable. They're easier to train because they don't complain and demand as much as adults. And with the invention of lighter weight weapons, now Children that are very small, even, are able to fight for their country. You think about that, and you think, how did we get to this point? How did we get there? How does this happen? And I think the answer is pretty plain and simple. Although world leaders won't recognize it or refuse to acknowledge it, I think the answer is pretty simple. It's, it's sin. At its core... That's the problem. It's not political, it's not social, it's not economic. It's sin, plain and simple. And of course, if sin is the problem, then it only makes sense that the solution is Jesus. If you look in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we read these words. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all of the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The source of peace is Jesus. He was sent to this earth to bring peace. He is the ultimate peacemaker. There is no peace without him. You see, sin fractures things. That's what it does. It causes division. It fractures our relationship with other people. It fractures our relationship with God. It even fractures our relationship with ourself. All of us have this, this civil war that we battle constantly between what we know we should do and what we actually end up doing. That is sin at work in our lives. It causes fractures in everything, in every relationship, whether it's with God, other people, or even within ourselves. But there's some good news. You want to hear it? You're going to want to write this down. You're going to want to remember this because it is simple and yet profound. Are you ready for this? Here it is. God loves you. And you don't have to earn that. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, 
Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly dare die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every time you read Romans 5, in fact, every time you read the Bible, keep that first phrase or that first sentence in your mind, while we were yet sinners. Let that hover around in your brain as you study the Bible, especially in Romans, because it means everything to us. While you were opposed to God, while you were living in sin, while you had a fracture in your relationship with God, with yourself, and with other people, Christ died for you. You didn't have to go first. You didn't have to earn anything. Christ died for you in your sin, and God raised Jesus to bring the sinner peace. Peace in the Greek language is the word erene, and it describes wholeness or fullness or completeness. It's talking about harmonious relationships between men or maybe between nations. Erene refers to friendliness. It can mean freedom from molestation or the harmonized relationships between God and man accomplished through the gospel. It can even mean a sense of rest and contentment. In the Old Testament, it's the word that you've probably heard of. It's called shalom. In the Jewish culture today, Jews greet each other with the phrase maslomka, which means what is your peace? I could ask you the same question this morning. What is your peace? What is your peace? Is it, is it your family? Is it your spouse? Your children? Is it your faith? You see, when we talk about shalom, we're talking about more than the absence of something. Because that's how we think of peace, isn't it? Peace is the absence of conflict, but that's not what peace is. Shalom describes a peace that is much deeper and richer in meaning. It's about wholeness and fullness and completeness. It's not about the absence of something. It's about the presence of something. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. What is your peace? Listen to John 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Neither Jesus, nor Paul, nor Peter, nor any of the other New Testament writers ever guaranteed that if you follow Jesus, you're going to have peace. Yes, Jesus came to bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace, but following him may bring you anything but peace. In fact, the New Testament writers were honest enough with us to say that. Jesus was honest enough to tell us that peace may not come to you by following me. And we know that as Christians. We know that when we rise from the waters of baptism, that our lives aren't instantly made perfect, that we're not suddenly walking in comfort and convenience all the time, that a lot of the problems we had are still there, and we still have to deal with them. But you see, when you have the presence of God or Jesus in your life, you can still have peace. It was Jesus who said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Timothy told Peter, or excuse me, uh, Paul told Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it was Jesus himself who said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That was the natural result of Jesus coming. That wasn't his intent, but it stemmed from those 
who followed him because following Jesus can often fracture things. It might fracture things within your own family. It might fracture relationships that you have. But what's most important, right? You remember when the disciples were out on the sea and there was this storm that threatened to break the ship apart and send all of them into the water to their death? And they become frantic as any of us would be. They were scared to death. And so they go and they find Jesus asleep in the hull of the ship. And they wake him up and, and they, they cry out to him, basically, don't you care that we're about to perish in this, in this storm? And what does Jesus say to them? You have little faith. Why are you afraid? It's a good question, isn't it? Why did they have to be afraid? Why should they have not been afraid? Jesus was in the boat with them, right? And if Jesus is in the boat with you, you have nothing to fear. It's easy to say and hard to do, isn't it? In Colossians 3 and 15, Paul wrote these words, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You know where Paul was when he wrote these words? He was in a dark, damp, depressing prison cell, and yet he could have peace. You know when David was on the run from Absalom's men? He was hiding out, fearful for his life. In Psalm 3, starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord, the Lord sustains me. How does somebody sleep in that situation? David was on the run. He was being hunted, and yet he was able to lay his head down and sleep. Who does that? Someone who has peace. Someone who in the midst of turmoil knows that God is a shield about them. I love the story about the woman who had a pet parakeet and she decided to clean out his cage one day and she took the, the end off the vacuum. She just had the attachment in there and she was cleaning his cage and she, she heard the phone ring and she turned and she accidentally sucked her parakeet up in the vacuum. She became frantic and so she cut off the vacuum cleaner and she opened up the bag and there was her little parakeet still alive but covered in filth. She felt so guilty. So she took him and held him under the sink and ran water over him until he was clean, and she dried him off and sat him on the counter, and she looked over and noticed he was shivering, about to freeze to death. So she felt really bad. So she got out the hair dryer and blasted him with scorching hot air. The local newspaper heard about the story and called the woman up and, and, and wanted to write about it, and they said, so how's the little parakeet doing? And she said, well, he doesn't sing much anymore. And I think many of us are like that sometimes, right? We don't, we don't sing much anymore because we've been sucked in, blown over, covered in filth. A lot of times it's self-inflicted, but yet we still struggle, don't we? We struggle to, to find peace, whether it's because of our own fault or because of the world that we're living in. We don't sing much. Many of us feel like that poor parakeet, but we have to understand that peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of God. I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. We talked about Jonah a few weeks ago on a Sunday night. We we're studying the minor prophets. And in the book of Jonah, we see a, a man who did not want to answer God's call for him. 
Y'all know the story, uh, just a reluctant prophet who finally turns around because he finds himself in the belly of a great fish. And We all know that story, but let's look at it from a little different angle this morning for just a few minutes. Notice chapter 1 and verse 1 and following. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and so he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Now, the subsequent verses talk about how the sailors were afraid for their lives, and the captain of the ship goes and finds Jonah asleep in the hull. Apparently, Jonah had peace. He had run away from God, or at least he thought, out of sight, out of mind. He was out of the presence of God, at least he thought. And so they wake him up, and the mariners are afraid. They pray to their own gods, and then they, they ask Jonah, do you know what's going on here? Why is this great storm coming upon us? And Jonah tells them, it's because of me. I'm the one that caused this. And so the mariners on board ask him a series of questions, and notice how Jonah answers. He said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah informs the people uh, that are on the boat that all this has come upon them because he is trying to run from God. And he tells them, if you, if you want to live, the best thing to do is throw me overboard. And so they do. And immediately... The sea's calm, and everything's fine, at least for the sailors. Jonah finds himself in the belly of a great fish, but before we get there, look back at chapter 1 and verse 1, and notice what is written. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I want you to keep that phrase in mind as we go forward. In fact, every time you read the book of Jonah, think about that phrase. Because it's very telling. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. You know, Jonah is a book about someone who's trying to run from God and realizes that that can never happen. You cannot live a life of peace when you live in opposition to the word of God. Running from God will always bring storms to your life. Always. Jonah tried to go 2,000 miles to escape the presence of God, and he found himself caught in a storm. He was willing to put his life on the line. How about you? Hopefully you're not as stubborn and silly as Jonah, but if you've ever tried to run from God, you know that it's always going to bring storms. I was asked to speak at the Taylor County Jail one time, and, and I went there, and, and, and the crux of my message was basically this. I said to all the prisoners there, you've tried it your way. How's that working for you? Not very good, obviously, because you're here. So let's try it God's way and see what happens, right? Jonah refused to try it God's way. He ran, and he finds that the compassionate and gracious God prepares a fish to swallow him whole. And for the first time in Jonah's life, at least from what we read, he finds peace. Isn't that interesting? He can't run from God any longer. Now he's stuck in the belly of this fish, and he seems to finally have peace. Be honest. How many of you have found your life in chaos and in disarray? 
and you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know that something just isn't right. And so you start thinking about your life, you start thinking about things, and then it hits you. You're not as close to God as you need to be. Maybe you've been going through the motions. Maybe it's not that you're just absolutely turning your back on God like Jonah did, but you're having storms and you're, you're dealing with things in your life and you realize, I, I've been pretty sporadic in my church attendance. I, I haven't been studying the Bible like I should. I haven't been praying like I should. You know, one of the frustrations as a minister is that so many times when people are dealing with difficulty in their life, they turn away from God in the church rather than running to God in the church. It's interesting how that happens. But we don't want to bother people with our problems or, or we blame God for our problems. You will always have storms in your life if you choose to, a path away from God. If you choose to run from God, you will always invite storms. Jonah found this out. And there are many people who are choosing to run from God and choosing a path away from God and trying to find peace at the bottom of a bottle of alcohol, through meth or heroin or drug use, through a sexual relationship, through entertainment, whatever it may be. There are countless individuals who are seeking peace only to find that they're bringing more storms. Jonah came to that realization. You cannot run from God. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 164, and 165? He said, seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. You want peace? Well, it's found in the word of God. That's where you find it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he ran. The word of the Lord has come to you. You have it in that Bible in front of you or on that phone in front of you. The word of the Lord has come to you. What are you going to do with it? You're going to turn your back to it? You're going to run? Or are you going to embrace it? Let's go back to Jonah. After being thrown overboard, he finds himself in the belly of this fish for three days. And Jonah prays, verses 7 through 10 of chapter 2, give us kind of a snippet of this prayer. It says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Again, it's interesting that Jonah actually found peace in the one place that seemed so unlikely. It was in the belly of the great fish that all the chaos, all the dysfunction seemed to disappear for that moment. And the reason he had chaos and dysfunction in the first place is because he was running from God. Now he finds himself trapped. He can no longer run from God. And all of a sudden he has peace, right? And notice what he does. He remembers, he prays, and he repents. No longer able to run, trapped, alone with God. He remembers, he repents, and he returns to God. And for the first time in his life, he has peace, right? You want storms in your life, then run from God. You want the storms to disappear, then run to God. Jonah shows us that. There is no peace outside the presence of God. There is no peace when you ignore the word of God. Jonah found that out. And you probably know people like this. You may even be like this where you know of people that you love and you care about, but their life is one constant storm. 
and they come to you and they vent about it and they're constantly griping and complaining to you and you want to hear them out, you want to be loving and compassionate, but quite honestly, it wears on you after a while. You love them, you want what's best for them, and you try to tell them, look, you have these storms because you don't have peace. And they almost resent the fact that you're trying to help them or cheer them up. And after a while, what more can you do, right? Instead of having peace, their life is in pieces. And you know what would make, a, make them feel better and what would help them to cope with things better? But they just won't listen. Instead, they continue to invite the storms. Well, if you go back to Jonah, the time in the belly of the fish was time well spent because it refocused him. And, he, and he's vowed to lo no longer run from God. Instead, he runs to Nineveh. And this stubborn, selfish prophet carries out God's commission by preaching to this ruthless and wicked city. And lo and behold, they repent. And in chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And like I said when we talked about this in our Minor Prophets series, as a preacher, I love it when people respond positively, but Jonah didn't. Jonah didn't like that they answered the invitation. In fact, he was quite upset about it. He was angry at God because he knew that God was compassionate and merciful. That's why he didn't want to go in the first place. He didn't love his enemies. He wanted them to suffer. He wanted them to spend eternity away from God. Jonah is livid that the message was preached and so well received. And if you notice chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it reads, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah is complaining about the gracious and compassionate God who caused a fish to swallow him so he wouldn't die in the sea. That same gracious and compassionate God who showed him grace and compassion is now the same God that Jonah is complaining about. Who does that? What kind of person answers God's call, does what God says, and then is upset when God does his work? The kind of person that doesn't have peace. And why didn't Jonah have peace? Why was his peace short-lived? Because of the anger and hatred that he had in his heart, right? You know of people like that? People who are constantly bitter and angry? Who wants to be around those people? You may love them, you may care about them, and you want what's best for them, but quite honestly, you don't want to be around them very much. I don't want to be around someone who's always bitter and angry and constantly griping and complaining about someone or something. Do you? Why are they that way? Because they don't have peace. They're inviting storms because they have allowed hatred to build up in their heart. They're harboring this resentment and this malice, and it's only causing more storms. And so we dance around them. We sidestep the issue with them. We handle them with kids' gloves because we don't really want to deal with what they're dealing with. We don't want them projecting that on us. And we certainly don't want to be around it for very long. We love them, we care about them, but we take no pleasure in being around them because they bring everyone down. They're a storm cloud. 
And we don't want a storm cloud eclipsing our blue sky. Paul wrote, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. And then in Psalm 34 and 14, we read this. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is the word of the Lord. It has come to you. It has been passed down to where it has come to you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to embrace it? Or are you going to do like Jonah and run from it? Because I think there are many Christians who feel like they're doing pretty well their best. They feel like they're, they're striving for the most part to please God, but they still harbor bitterness and anger in their heart. They're a storm cloud walking around because they won't pursue peace. They refuse to let go of something. They just hang on to that bitterness. And when you bump them, it comes out, right? Somebody's carrying a glass of water that's filled to the brim, and you bump them, it's going to spill, right? And somebody who's filled to the brim with bitterness and anger and hatred, you bump them, it's going to spill out. Those are not people we want to be around. They don't have peace because they refuse to let it go. How many of you have a relationship that looks like this? Maybe a relationship with your spouse, unfortunately. Maybe a relationship with your kids. How many of you have a relationship like this with a, with a family friend or a, or a long-time friend? And how many of you have a relationship that looks like this because it's your fault? Let me tell you this. Until you seek peace and let go of the bitterness and anger, you're always going to invite the storm. The storm is not going to go away. If you look up the word peace in a lexicon, one of the definitions it gives is safety. That's what peace does. It provides safety. It's a storm shelter. You want refuge from the storm, you seek peace. But you will never have peace and you will always invite the storm when you hold on to anger and bitterness or when you run from God. The word of the Lord has come to you. What are you going to do with it? Or I leave you with the phrase that the Jews used to greet each other with, Ma Slomka. What is your peace? And if your peace is not God and Jesus above everything else, then you're inviting a storm. We want to help you find safety this morning. If you're not a child of God, then I can guarantee you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are dealing with a storm of sin in your life. And that storm is never going to get better until you call on the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, through repentance, through confessing Him as Lord and being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins, you won't have peace. Maybe you've done that. And maybe you still don't have peace because of some dysfunction in your life, whether it's your fault or not. Let us help you with that. Seek peace by seeking Jesus. Come now as we stand and as we sing. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the 
story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell how the angels in chorus 